All right, well, good morning again. It's good to be back. Uh, I was out last week, and I would love to say it was time off, but I was finishing my two seminary classes, and so I've written so many essays that I don't, I lost count. I've lost count of how many essays. I'm pretty sure I was writing heresy by the end of it, but it's all right. It's all right. It's all about the grade, right? Anyways, um, so uh, for those of you, like I said earlier, if you don't know me, my name is Will. I'm the pastor here of the church, and uh, it's such a blessing to have you here with us. And if you're visiting us here for the first time, I would love to get a chance to connect with you um, as you walk out. I'm usually back by the stairs, and so I would love to get a chance to just shake your hand and welcome you personally to our church. Now, this morning, uh, we are continuing and concluding our series entitled Marriage, Singleness, and Parenting. And we have a lot to get through and not a lot of time. And so uh, we're concluding this morning the series by looking at the subject of parenting. We're looking at parenting. And I don't know if this series has been a blessing to you. I know that it's been a blessing to me as I've worked through it and just uh, wrestled with the different passages that the Lord has laid on my heart. And I was very blessed by Pastor Lon's sermon last week as well. And so I hope this, this, this has been an encouragement to you and has motivated you uh, in your walk with Jesus, in, in your role as a married, a single, or a parent. And so this morning, we're concluding the series by looking at the subject of parenting. And what I want to do is, since Lon kind of took more of a zoomed out view and gave us uh, just a, like a 30,000 foot view of parenting, I kind of felt weird to, to focus on one passage and, and just look at one aspect of parenting. So my, my hope is actually to do the same thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you more of a bird's eye view of parenting. And, and my hope this morning is to provide you with a theology of parenting. That's my hope. That, that there's a lot more that the Bible says about parenting, but I want to address enough of the Bible that you're going to be able to have a, a general understanding and theology of parenting, what the Bible actually has to say about parenting. And so to do that, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at parenting under four headings. Now, usually I do three, but I'm, I'm mixing it up a little bit, okay? So we have four headings, and that's what happens when I get a week off. Uh, so we have four headings this morning, four truths that I want to see and what I want to share with you. And, and here, here they are. The first thing I want to address this morning is I want to address the goal of parenting, the goal of parenting. The second truth that I want to address this morning is I want to look at the mode of parenting, the mode. The third truth we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at the struggle of parenting, and then we're going to conclude by looking at the source of parenting, all right? So the goal, the mode, the struggle, and the source. So let's begin by looking at the goal of parenting. Now, before we jump into the passage that I want to look at, here, here's the reason why we have to begin by addressing the goal of parenting. The reason why we have to start with that is because every single person in here has a goal for parenting. Every single person in here has a purpose for their parenting. Whether that's stated or unstated, everyone has a goal and a purpose for parenting. So the reason why I want to begin by establishing a biblical goal, a biblical purpose, is because every person has a goal or purpose. You're like, I don't have a goal for my, for my parenting. I just figure it out as I go. No, no, no. You do. It might be unstated, but everyone has a goal. Everyone looks forward to the future, and you have in mind the type of person that you want to produce. Whoever that person is will reveal to you what the goal of your parenting actually is. So the question this morning is not whether or not you have a goal or whether or not you have a purpose. The better question is, is that purpose a biblical one? Is the goal of your parenting the same goal that God has? Because if it isn't, then you need to repent and you need to, God doesn't have to change, you have to change. And so that's why we have to begin by addressing and looking at the goal of parenting. What's the point? Why are we doing it? Why did God call us to it? The goal 
of parenting. Listen, the other reason why I want to talk to you about the goal of parenting before I jump into the passage is this. We live in a culture that when it comes to parenting, it's just absolutely ridiculous nowadays. And here's why, here's why. Back in Jesus' day, children were considered trash. Seriously, they, they were seen as the, the bottom of the totem pole. Children were worthless. They were worthless. They, 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 a lot of them weren't named until they were older because they would die so young that there was no purpose on naming a child until they were at least five. So, so, so they were worthless back then. But here's what we've done. What our culture has done is we've gone from one end of the spectrum, children being worthless, to being something we worship. So children are no longer worthless. Children are what we worship now. So here's the thing about parenting. Lily and I, are one daughter is five. The other one's about to be three. And, and, and when, we were, when, when Lily was pregnant with our two girls, we would be reading on all the different things. And it, it, it's, just, it's getting ridiculous. Like there was an article that the new research shows kids have to sleep on their back. No, no, new research shows they have to sleep on their stomach. No, 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 they have to sleep on their side. No, 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 they have to sleep in a 90-degree angle in a lightly lidded room. Come on, man. That's, what, that's the world we're in. The other day, I, you guys maybe have heard this story. I don't know. I repeat a lot of stuff. But we were, we were at Leah's uh, uh, preschool orientation a few months ago. And, and the, 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 the director of the program gets up, and she's so excited. And she's like, we have discovered a gluten-free, a peanut-free, an allergy-free, a cotton-free, a taste-free snack that, that, that will change your child's life. And I'm like, what is it, water? Like, well, what can you possibly be giving my kid? Because it's free of everything. Well, what is it? What, what are we talking about here? Like, well, really? That's, that's where we're at now? So, 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 that's the, so, so as, as, you, as you get into parenting, millennial parents are ridiculous. And they're just, you got to be playing Beethoven by week one of the pregnancy. And, and they got to be playing the cello by two and a half years old. And, 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 and you better make sure you have a car seat until they're 28 because you never know when an accident <laughs> might happen. Come on, man. So, so, so if you don't have a goal for parenting, you better believe that the world is trying to give you a goal for parenting. And so if we don't address the goal of parenting, then someone's going to give you the goal. Either you'll come up with it or the world will give you it. And we don't want either of those things. We want the Bible to establish the goal and the purpose of our parenting. Amen? So let's look at what Scripture says. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 28. Now, for those of you who know your Bibles, you're sitting here thinking, wait, 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 wait. This isn't a parenting passage. Where are you going here? I'll explain. Let me read it. Verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not to you, parents. To him. Therefore, go, and the word go there is going. So not like go somewhere, but it's as you go, as you are going, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus, in this passage, gives you the purpose of parenting. And you're like, what do you mean? He doesn't mention parenting once. This passage has nothing to do with parenting. Well, here's why it does. Because Jesus is saying, if you are a disciple of me, if you are a follower of me, your number one calling, your number one mission and vision is to make disciples. Listen, becoming a parent doesn't change that. The only thing that changes is now you are discipling people who live in your house and sit in the back of your van. That's the only thing that's changed. You're still discipling. The mission is exactly the same. It has not changed. 
Your calling changes, your season changes, but the mission does not change. You are called to make disciples. That's it. Not athletes, not scholars, not doctors, not lawyers, not moralistic Pharisees, disciples. That's what you are called to make. Listen, it's the only plan that God blesses. Pastor Lon used an illustration last week about him, about this, this lady who was at a park, and they, the, the, this other lady come up, came up and saw her two, her two kids playing, and she was like, wow, oh, your kids are so, are so cute. What are their names? She's like, well, that's lawyer and that's doctor. Listen, God doesn't care if your, your kid's a doctor. He doesn't care if he gets a scholarship. He's, he's not impressed by degrees. He's not impressed by athletic stats. He doesn't care if, you're, if your child is leading the, the AAU basketball team in rebounds. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. The goal of parenting is to make disciples. So when you put soccer practice over church, what you're telling your children is that making an athlete is more important than making a disciple. And you're willing to sacrifice church activities for uh, their, their 17th extracurricular activity. They already do a band and, 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 and you know, they're, they're in drama and they're in like all these other things. And, but they need to do badminton because you never know what the colleges are going to look for in their resume. They just need to do Thursday night badminton. And so you, you just keep adding things. But th- listen, God is not impressed by resumes. He's not impressed by doctors or lawyers or teachers. He's not impressed by that. The world's impressed by that. God is not impressed by that. God's not going to judge you based on if your child got a scholarship or not. So if that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you're describing your kids, you're describing your kids wrong. You are called to make disciples. That's it. And I don't know about you, but that's actually a very freeing thing for me. Because we had so many unnecessary things to us, to ourselves. Oh, our kids didn't get straight A's. That's not what you're called to do. Oh, my kids having behavioral issues. Well, yeah, deal with it, but, you, but that's not your, what you're called. You're called to make, point your, people, your children to Jesus and to make disciples. So on the one hand, it frees you because the, it, it makes the vision very clear. But on the other hand, it humbles you because, you know, God's ultimately the only one that can make them a disciple. So you can prepare them to be disciples, but God's the only one that can actually change their hearts. See, we as parents, we can fill their heads with information. We can, we can try to fill their heads and control their hands, but only God can change their hearts. See, I think, I think the reason why a lot of us don't want this to be the purpose of parenting, the goal of parenting, is because if the purpose of parenting is anything other than making a disciple, then you can do something about it. Amen. See, if, if the goal of my child, if the goal is to produce a, a lawyer, or the goal is to produce an athlete, or the goal is to produce a moralistic Pharisee, I can do something about that. But if the goal is to produce a, a disciple, then God has to do something about it. So sometimes I think we lower the standards because we want to be a part of it. We want us to get the glory instead of God. So we have to be aware of that. We have to realize that if we're not careful, and here's, here's the thing. We, we, what we do is we try to take whatever plan we have for our children, and then we tell God, God, bless this. Listen, God doesn't bless that plan. If your plan is not to make disciples, God's not blessing that plan. If anything, he'll oppose it. Or he'll give it to you. And then your child will become 35 and look back and be resentful. Because your child will see that you love them more than you love Jesus. You know, when I first became a Christian, there was a guy who I was friends with. 
And he grew up with me through middle school and high school. And he was always the Christian of the group. At least that's how he described himself. And when I became a believer and I found out what, actually, what Christianity actually meant, I saw the dude and I'm like, you're not a Christian. You're the furthest thing from a Christian. There's nothing biblical about your life at all. You know what breaks my heart? When I sit down with young adults who are in their 20s and their 30s, and they finally have taken Jesus seriously, and they look back on their childhood and they saw that their parents never did, that their parents loved them more than they loved Jesus. Don't have that be what your children say. And if that, if that is who you were, change it now. Because the beautiful thing about this mission and the beautiful thing about this goal of parenting is that it's the, it's the, it's the same whether your child is 2 or 42. The seasons change. The ages change. But your job is to make disciples. That's it. I don't care how old your kids are. Your job is to make disciples. Any other goal changes if, you, if, you, if your goal is to make a, a, a law-abiding citizen, then the moment they turn 18, you're done, right? If your goal is to produce doctors or lawyers, then the moment they get their degree, you're done. But since the goal is to make disciples, you're never done. You're always discipling your children regardless of their age. That's what we're called to do. That's what I love about this, though, is that it gives you a long-term vision on parenting. Parenting, is, is it about the day-to-day -day stuff? Yeah, we're actually going to talk about that in the next point. But, but it gives you a long-term vision, and it gives you this peace. Like, God, it's, 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 you know how it's like the stock market. It goes up and down, but it's a trend. It's where it's headed. Where, where's the trajectory of your parenting? Where are they headed? There's a peace in that. See, what happens with young parents, and I've been guilty of this, is that when they do good, they think they're the best parents in the world. And when they do bad, they think they're the worst parents in the world. And neither of those things is true. You're far from being the best parent ever, and you're far from being the worst parent ever. And every mistake you make isn't going to lead to eternal damnation for your child. Eternity is not on the brink. It's not on, it's not, we're not, it's like, oh, if I go this way, if I, if I put them in karate instead of a band, they're, they're going to hell. No, like, calm down, dude. Calm down. Okay? It gives you a long-term vision for your parenting. So what's the goal of parenting? The goal of parenting is to make disciples. Let's go to the next point. Now that we've looked at the goal of parenting, the next thing I want to look at is I want to look at the mode of parenting. And here's what I mean by the mode of parenting. If the first point, the first truth is more general, see, the, the general truth is that we're all called to make disciples. This second one is more specific. It's more particular. And here's what I mean. The destination of parenting is the same. Everyone is called to make disciples. But the path by which you get there looks different from family to family and from child to child. It looks different. So, so you could have one family who's making disciples over here, and you could have another family who's making disciples over here, and it looks totally different because the mode of parenting doesn't have to be the same, but the goal of parenting does have to be the same. Look what it says in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now, this seems like a pretty just you know, general blasé verse in the Old Testament about children. But when you start digging into the Hebrew, it's, it's amazing just how much wisdom there is in this one verse of the Bible. The word there, start, it means to train. It means to actually, it could actually mean to disciple, which is what we talked about in the previous point. It means to train, it means to disciple, it means to instruct, okay? But here's what's interesting about it. The, the author doesn't say, uh, uh, Solomon doesn't say, you know, instruct your children and then give you a list of 20 things on what it looks like. He doesn't actually tell you what it looks like. It's a very general thing. He says, hey, instruct your children. Hey, train your children. Hey, uh, 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 disciple your children. 
But he doesn't tell you what it actually looks like. So what that means is, is that the, the Bible in its wisdom leaves these open parameters so that the discipling and training looks different from family to family. But what a lot of parents do is we judge each other. And we're like, oh, well, look, look at them. They don't even know how to raise a kid. Who does that? And who does this? And who does that? And we judge each other. But we have no right to judge each other because the Bible doesn't get into the specifics. The Bible says you are to train. The Bible, you training, discipling, and disciplining, and, and, and instructing your children, that's not an option. But how you do it is an option. The mode is up to you. The mode is up to your personality. The mode is up to how your child is wired. It looks different from family to family. And to prove that, the other word I want to see there is the word way. It says start children off on the way they should go. The word there in Hebrew, way, means course. It means journey. It means path. And what's interesting is, is that there's a, there's a book called Grace-Based Parenting by a guy named Dr. Tim Kimmel. And what he does in one of the chapters is he takes Proverbs 22, verse 6, and he starts to unpack it. And he looks at that word way in particular. And here's what he says about the word way. The Hebrew word there for way is derek, D-E-R-E-K, is the word derek or direct. And what he says is that that Hebrew word is used somewhere else in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. And it's used, in the, in the other context in which it's used, it's used to describe the, the bent of a, of a bow. The bent of a bow and arrow is the other place where that word way is used in the Hebrew. And so here's what he says. And I, I love how he connects. He's the only person I saw that connected it this way. He says, if you wanted to make a bow and arrow and you went out into your backyard, okay, when you get there, the bow and arrow that you're going to make will be determined by the stick that you choose. It's determined by the bent of the bow. And so if, if depending on the bent of the bow, you're going to tie the string different. When you actually use it, you're going to pull it different because you're doing it based on the, the, the bent of the stick, of the wood that you're using. He said, just like uh, uh, every piece of wood has a certain bent, every child has a certain bent. So when you train up a child in the way they should go, you can't treat every child the same because not every child is the same. They have different bents. They have different strengths. They have different weaknesses. They have different personalities. They respond to discipline totally different. And the thing, I just love the nuance and the wisdom in this passage that you can't treat every child the same because not every child is the same. I, I've seen that even in my own family. With, with my girls, so, so we have two girls. Leah is my oldest. She's five. Alicia is about to turn three. Leah is very similar to me in, my, in personality, and then Alicia is very similar to Lily in personality. But what's crazy is, is that it's very easy for me to discipline Leah because I just get how she works. Like, I just get how she ticks. So I take a few words, and I'm good. Part of it is that she's an older child, but part of it also is because we have similar personalities, Right? I have never really wasted too much time disciplining my Leah, not because she's not a sinner, she is, but because I just know her better, okay? Now, the other one, it's ridiculous. No, seriously, like, she's crazy. <laughs> just, just an example of the craziness. This story has nothing to do with anything, but it just shows you how messed up she is. I, I, uh, 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 yesterday, I'm, I'm, I'm working on some essays for school, and I was in my office, and that, the, the, my wall is connected to her wall, so I can hear her. So she gets up, and I go in to go get her, and I'm so excited to just give her a hug and give her a kiss. <laughs> she comes out from under the blanket, and I kid you not, she had a booger right in the center of her forehead, like right here, a big one too. Like it was like, and I was like, ooh, yeah, uh, that's nasty. Like, like, I don't know. I'm proud of you because I don't know how you got a booger on your forehead, but 
you're not touching. I'm not touching you, okay? <laughs> like, you better stay there. And this is why I don't find my identity in you, okay? <laughs> because that's nasty, okay? So I grabbed her. I brought her to Lily. I'm like, here, can you fix this? Go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, but here's my daughter. Here's what my daughter. So, so, so with, with one, with Leah, all I got to do is look at her, and she'll change. And, and the other one, it, it, waterboarding doesn't even work. Like, she, just, she doesn't respond to anything. Like, she's like, whatever, dude. Like, you hit her, she's like, hit me harder. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> go get a belt. You know? And so, so, so one of the things she's really into right now is she's really into condiments. And so, like, she just loves anything that's a sauce. Like, she loves the sauce more than whatever meat is accompanying the sauce. And so whether it's barbecue sauce or ketchup or salsa, whatever it is, it, but by the end of the dinner, she is, like, she has it all over her body by the end of it, right? And so the other day, I think it was Portillo's that we were at, and uh, 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 she, she, once she finishes her fries, instead of just pushing her ketchup away, she starts dipping her finger in it and putting it, like, all over her face. It looked like Braveheart. Like, it was just like... And I'm like, uh, Alicia, we call her Chacha. I'm like, Chacha, can, can you stop, please? And then she does it more. She's like, oh. <laughs> right? And so so I'm, I'm trying to stop this thing. And then it definitely, the issues definitely come from her mother. Because the thing is, is that when Lily and I, when, when Lily and I were dating, Lily was a finger licker. Like she used to, like, whether, whether it was like fries or ribs. I told her straight up. I was like, listen, I love you. But if you lick your fingers again, we're done, bro. Like, like it's over. Like I... I will not be with a finger licker. It's disgusting, okay? We're not animals, people, okay? So she got it from her mom. So she's seeing it exemplified, right? And, and so I'm trying to tell her to calm down, but she doesn't do it. She doesn't respond. No matter what I do, she does not do it. So by the time we left Pertillo, she looked like Carrie, that movie from the 1980s at the end of the prompt. Like, it was bad. It was bad. And all the conservative Christians from the 80s were like, we weren't supposed to watch that. <laughs> Who's Carrie? You know who Carrie is, you sinner. <laughs> Anyways, so what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this, that every child is different, and you have to parent in light of those differences. You have to. You have to. Because if you don't, here's what you'll end up doing. You'll either end up repeating what your parents did and just treat every child the same, or you'll end, if something worked with the older child, you'll keep doing it with the rest of them. And what worked with the older might not have worked with the older child. Or what didn't work with the older uh, might not work. You know, so, so you can't be stuck in a system, and you have to have the wisdom and the nuance that the Bible has when it comes to parenting your children. Look what it says in the Old Testament survey. This is a commentary that I read. Here's what he says about this passage. He says, this maxim is an injunction to parents to consider the child's nature, faculties, and temperament in the education which is given him. If you are going to parent correctly, the mode of your parenting needs to be determined by your child's nature, faculties, and temperament. Once you understand who they are, then you can provide the, the discipline and the instruction that they need. Does that make sense? So let's go back to the three points, four points, sorry. We've looked at the goal of parenting. Uh, then we looked at the mode of parenting. The next thing I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the struggle of parenting. I want to take a closer look at the struggle of parenting. Now, I don't know about you. But last time I checked, parenting is really, really hard, right? Can I get an amen? Is that, is that just me? Okay. All right. I just want to make sure I'm not the only sinner in here. Um, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Parenting is hard. And, and listen, we, we can blame a lot of things. We can blame the media, and we can blame uh, uh, social, uh, Twitter and, and Snapchat and all that. We, we can blame, we can blame our, their sinful, worldly friends. But the reality is, is that parenting is hard. 
And here's what I need you to know. The reason why parenting is hard is not because of something outside of your child, but because of something inside your child. Okay? Listen, the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous, when you think about what, when, when a lot of times parents are thinking, oh, well, I got to protect my child from this, got to protect my child. The most dangerous thing, the thing that will most hinder your child's spiritual growth is not something outside of them, it's something inside of them. And here's the kicker. You have the same problem they do. And you are more like your child than you are unlike them. The worst thing you can do is think you are different from your child. You might be different in role, but you are not different in condition. Okay? So what's the struggle? Why is parenting such a struggle? Well, look what it says in Psalm 51, verse 5. This is David writing. He says, surely, listen to this, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And the word sinful there doesn't mean, ah, I wasn't that great. The word sinful there means depraved. It means perverse. It means guilty. From the day I was born. And it's not just him, but it's also the mother who conceived him. So you want to know why you have a problem in your parenting? Because both you and your children, and and me and my children, are depraved sinners. We are depraved, broken sinners. Until you, listen, a lot of times the reason, a lot of us aren't bad parents, we're bad theologians. You're not not a bad parent, you're a bad theologian. Because you believe that your child's problem is something other than sin. You've diagnosed the problem wrong. In their heart and in your heart. Here's the problem with this. When you misdiagnose the problem, when you misdiagnose the disease, you go looking for a wrong cure. Okay? That's the problem. And so a lot of us are like, oh, well, my child needs his education. No, they don't, because their ultimate problem is not ed- educational. Oh, my child needs a, just a good coach that's going to come alongside them. And, and no, 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 because their, their ultimate problem is not athletic. Oh, my child needs a, 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 you know, a, a religious example. No, 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 they don't. Because they're, they're, it's not a fair sale problem they have. You, your child, if their ultimate problem is sin, then their only solution is a savior. It's the only solution. It's not education. It's not a, a, a sports. It's not a, a money. It's not success. It's a savior. We said it, we said it last week, uh, two weeks ago, when we were talking about singleness. Your, your, your greatest problem is not your singleness, is your, it's your sinfulness. And if that's the case, then that means your greatest solution is not a spouse, it's a savior. And the same thing is true with your children. Their greatest problem is their sin. And so their only solution is a savior. And listen, listen, listen. You're not the savior. Your parents, listen, listen, your children need Jesus more than they need you. Someone doesn't believe that, though. So I'm going to say it again. Your parents, I mean, your children need Jesus more than they need you. Amen, brother. Amen. (laughs) So that's where we're at. We need to understand that. Because if we don't understand that, we are not going to approach parenting the right way. Listen, listen, listen. There's only, and I mentioned this in my communion because I was trying to get you ready for it because I know no one actually believes it. But, 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 but here's, what, here's, what, here's why this is so important. There's only one perfect parent 
and there's only one perfect child. That's it. In all of human history, there's only one perfect parent, and there's only one perfect child. And think about this. So what you guys are doing is you think, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Because I want to be a perfect parent. Because I just want to do it in my own strength. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give my child the perfect laws and I'm going to put them in a perfect location where, where the laws and the location are just going to provide an amazing situation for them to grow up and love Jesus. Listen to this, guys. God the Father was a perfect parent. He gave Adam and Eve perfect laws. He put them in a perfect place and they still messed it up. So perfect laws in perfect location, it doesn't get more perfect than the garden. They had perfect laws in perfect location, and they still messed it up. So maybe your child's not walking with Jesus. That's not ultimately your fault. You can do what you can, but if, if, if Adam and Eve were willing to walk away from God, don't take it personally when your children walk away from God. There's only one perfect parent, and it's not you, and it's not me. And there was only one perfect child, and it was not you, and it's not me. This is so important. We have to, I don't care how cute your kids are. I don't care what age they are. I don't care, you know, I don't care, I don't care. But, but you, you, when you look at your child, you have to say, I love you, but you are a depraved, filthy, nasty sinner. And some of you are like, well, you can't call my child that. That's offensive. No, no, it's biblical. Okay? It's biblical. Look, look what Charles Spurgeon says about children. I, I love this quote. Go to the next one. He says, any man who declares children to be born perfect never was a father. Then he asks the question, your child without evil, you without eyes, you mean. Okay? Now, some of you may be looking at that passage from, from uh, uh, of, uh, well, let me say this, and then I'll come back. Uh, I heard Alistair Begg put it this way. He's a pastor in, in Ohio. He put it this way. He said, before I had kids, I had no kids and six theories. And now that I have kids, I have six kids and no theories. So he had no kids and six theories before they had kids. And then now he has six kids and no theories. Because parenting is hard. And it's hard because they're sinners and because you're sinners. And some of you might be thinking, oh, well, you know, Psalm 51, if you really know the context of Psalm 51, David had just cheated on Bathsheba, so he wasn't in a good mood. So you can't really take him seriously there. He was in a low point. He doesn't really mean that we're all sinners. That's, that's just what David says, right? That's just David in a bad mood. Well, let's look at what God has to say about it, okay? Look at what it says in Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, uh, 2 through 3, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind. So there's not a parenthesis there with your child except, like, your child's not the exception. On all mankind. He's looking at all mankind. And it says, To see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away, and in the Hebrew, all means all, and all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. That's how messed up we are. There's no one good. There's no one good. And as a result, since we're all sinners, we all need a Savior. And that's what I was bringing up earlier. You are more like your children than you are unlike them. Yeah, you might have the role of parenting, but when you see yourself as superior or as above, you really aren't understanding the gospel. 
because you are just as broken, just as sinful, and just as wicked as they are. So that's the problem. That's the struggle. And, and, and when, when, here's what bothers me. Oh, man, here's what bothers me. When you pick up a book on parenting or you hear a sermon on parenting and it's 13 steps on how to be a better parent, the problem with that type of approach to parenting is that it's like giving someone with skin cancer Neutrogena. Hey, just, just put some face wash every week and you'll see how the cancer will go away. No, it's an internal thing. No steps can fix that. So the reason why I don't give you steps is because all steps are is law. Muslims try that. Jews try that. Mormons try that. Law doesn't work. You don't need more law. You fail at law and your children fail at law. So how about we try something else? How about we try something else for once? So in light of trying something else, let's go to the last point. So we've looked at the goal of parenting. We've looked at the mode of parenting. We've looked at the struggle of parenting. And so the question is, what what can possibly be the source of our parenting? Because I don't know about you, but this whole thing has just gotten gone from bad to worse. Because even if if all I would have given you was the first point, that the goal of parenting is to make disciples, if you really understand that calling, that should just break you and humble you. I can't do that. I'm barely a disciple myself, let alone create one and make one, right? So that, that bring, uh, you know, tears you down. And then we looked at the mode of parenting and how difficult it is to, to, to have the wisdom to navigate all the different children God gives you. And then, we, stop by, and then we, we look at the struggle and we see that our problem is not external, it's internal. And so the question is, what hope do we have? How can we possibly do what God is calling us to do if all this is true? How can we do it? How can we actually be the parents that God is calling us to be if we can't reach the goal, if we struggle with the mode, and we all are sinners because of the, we, we all struggle because we're sinners? How, do we, how can we possibly do what God is calling us to do? And the answer to that question is by turning to the source. Listen, I can't tell you how many parents I sit with who are struggling with mom guilt and who are struggling with uh, uh, perfectionism, and are struggling with anxiety, and are struggling with fear. And you know what they almost always, this is what it almost always boils down to when I meet with them. They'll, they'll say it in different ways, but essentially it'll be the same message. They'll say, you know what, I just, I'm just starting to realize in my parenting that I am not enough. I'm just not enough. I'm not enough for my daughter. I'm not enough for my son. I'm not enough for my 30-year-old. I'm not enough for my two-year-old. I'm not enough. And, 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 and the thing is, they come up to me, and they come up to me and say it like if that's bad news. Listen, when I hear that, I say amen. Amen. That's the point. That's why I spent 75% of the message making you feel horrible. (laughs) I'm not trying to make you feel horrible. I'm just telling you the truth. You are not enough. You're never enough. You've never been enough. You were never supposed to be enough. If you were enough, Jesus never would have had to come to die. You are not enough. Newsflash. Some of you, all you need to hear is that. You are not enough. That's the point of the Bible. That's why Jesus had to rescue us. That's why. And if we don't get to the bottom of that, if we don't address that we are not enough, here's the thing. I'm going to explain that concept in light of the passage. Let me put the passage up. Look what it says in this passage. It says, one day, in Mark 10, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry. The word there is indignant with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. He's yelling. Then it says, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children 
children in his arms, blessed, he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Listen, when you think you're enough for your children, you are not like the parents. Go back to the previous thing. You're not like the parents, you're like the disciples. When you think you're enough, you are actually keeping your children from Jesus. You are actually hindering them from getting to Jesus. Because you're not meant to be enough. You were never called to be enough. And so when you act like you are and you tell them that you are, you are actually being more like the disciples than like the parents. And what I need you to see about the parents here is that the parents here, it doesn't say anything about their children being uh, uh, sick. It doesn't say anything about their children, about them being broke or in bankruptcy or in in hard times. They're bringing their children to Jesus because they know that's the only hope they got. The word they're brought, it means to offer something up. Like literally take something that belongs to you and to give it to someone else. And the word parent there, you would, I always thought when I read this passage that it was a bunch of moms with little babies bringing them to Jesus. The word parents there is in the masculine. So it's the father's bringing them. It's the father's bringing them. It's not the stay-at-home mom. It's the father's bringing the children to Jesus. And then the word children there, it doesn't just mean young children. It goes all the way to 18 years old. So it's any age. Bringing your children, not just the little ones, but at any age. You continue to bring your children to Jesus because when you think you're enough, you don't bring them to Jesus. You actually hinder them. You get in the way. You prevent them from getting to Jesus because you want to be Jesus. You got to pull what John the Baptist says. I am not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. But a lot of us don't do the John the Baptist. We say, no, no, yeah, I'm the Christ. Yeah. I'll save you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I'll bless you. You are not the Christ. And you have no right to be there. No right. Now, if you go to the second part of this passage, I want you to see something. It says that Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. So there's two things that Jesus provides for these children. On the one hand, he provides them security. On the other hand, he provides them significance. He provides them security because as he took them in his arms. In the Greek there, it's he embraced them to protect them. He, he brought them in. Listen. No one can protect your children better than Jesus. Jesus loves your kids more than you. Jesus knows your kids better than you. And he can protect your kids better than you. And when you think you can keep it and I'll do it, then what you're actually doing is sinning. Okay? Then, then, then he doesn't just give them security, but then he also gives them significance because he blessed them. He laid his hands on them and blessed them. If you look at the Old Testament, and towards the end of the book of Genesis, you have a story there of Jacob, and he has his two grandsons, the sons of Joseph, and he lays hands on them. And the purpose of that back in the Old Testament was to pass along not just an adoption. You were adopting the person as your own, but you were giving them your name. You were giving them your inheritance. Listen, the inheritance that your, kids, your children need are not your 401K. It's the, 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 the riches of the gospel. The identity that they need is not that they are part of the Johnson family or the Franco family or the Smith family. Their ultimate identity is that they belong to Jesus. That's the identity and the significance your child needs. The identity, I'm going to say it again, the identity that your children need, the identity that they need is the identity in Jesus. That's what we, so when, when you approach this, the way you look at this, I, I have to realize that the reason why I have to repeatedly, every day, give my child over to Jesus is because I'm not him. Listen, 
maybe, maybe, maybe you've been a parent for 25 years. Maybe you've been a parent for 40 years. And you're sitting here and you're discouraged. And you're like, man, I wish I would have heard this sermon when I was 20. I wish I could go, over, go back and redo all of it. Listen, God is not a redoer. He's a redeemer. You know why God is not a redoer? Because if you redid it, then you would get the glory. And God's not in the business of sharing his glory. God's not letting you redo it. Because it's, he's not in the business of sharing his glory. God is in the business of redeeming so that he gets the glory. He's not a redoer. He's a redeemer. That's the God we serve. And that's why you got to continually be giving your children over to Jesus. Why? Because there's only one perfect parent, and that's not us. There's only one perfect child, and that's not us. And praise be to God that that perfect parent and that perfect child gave everything up so that we might be brought in and participate in that beautiful relationship. I want, to, I, want to com- I want to conclude with this passage. This comes from Psalm 145. This is so beautiful about how, how one generation tells the other generation about Jesus. How can I as a parent transfer my love for Jesus to my children? Well, Psalm 145 says, it says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Verse 4, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. The word commends there means to proclaim. It means to declare. It means to tell. It means to convince. Listen, but I can't give you what I don't have. If I don't have that, I can't give it to you. So if you don't have Jesus at the center of your life, don't expect Jesus to be at the center of your child's life. If, everything, if every time things go dif- difficult or hard in your life, you go to pornography or food or gambling or, or, or the internet or fill in the blank, don't be surprised when your children don't go to Jesus because you don't go to Jesus. Why would they go to Jesus if you don't go to Jesus? So, so, so he's, what he's saying is the only way that it's going to happen is if you commend your, the, the works. But listen, you can only tell someone about the mighty acts if you have been a part of those mighty acts, if you have seen those mighty acts. And the most mighty of acts that God did was what he did for us at the cross. And if you don't experience that on a daily basis, if you're not going to that every single day, then you're not going to be able to commend or praise or declare anything because it, it can only come from out of you. If you go back, if you go to the next slide, at the end of the passage, he says, they celebrate your abundant goodness. The word celebrate there means to gush over, to, to, to spring forth. The only way that you are going to get your children to see Jesus is if they see him in you. And one of the things that I pray for this church all the time, I pray for this all, and this would be the prayer that you should pray for your children. I pray for our church to have a gospel fluency, that the gospel would literally become a new language that you speak. So I don't know if you speak one language or two or three, but that you would add another language and that that language would be gospel fluency, that the gospel would be so permeating your life that it changes the way you talk about relationships. It changes the way you talk about money. It changes the way you talk about your identity. It just permeates out of you. It's it's affecting every single part of you. That's what I pray for. That's why I, I know people will judge me, but that's why I'm not a big fan of family devotionals, like sitting down and reading through Revelation or through Leviticus. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, if your child is struggling with dating, for example, knowing what the seven churches of Revelation are isn't going to help them. What your child needs to know is what does the gospel have to do with parenting? And how does your identity in Jesus affect you as someone who's dating? Your children need gospel coaching. They need gospel fluency. I was sitting with my staff the other day, and, and Jen and Carol both sat there like, you know what's been awesome about being at Tri-Village for the past year and a half? That we, we view God differently. Like, we literally are talking differently now. And I've noticed it in their prayers. Like, when they pray, they go straight to Jesus in the gospel and their identity in him. That's what gospel fluency looks like. That's what you should be praying for in your children. That whatever they're struggling with, 
You don't come with, the, you know, some, some pre-made Bible verse, but you go in there and you ask them, you check on their heart, you check on their soul. And when you find out what it is, you take that aspect of the gospel and you preach it to their hearts. That's what you do. Because if sin touched everything, then the gospel has to touch everything too. That's what we have to do. We have to commend. We have to declare. We have to praise Jesus to the next generation. But you can't give away what you don't have. You can't do it. So here's what I'll say. Here's how I'll summarize this. The only way, listen, the only way that you are going to keep yourself from finding your ultimate identity as a parent is by finding your ultimate identity as a child of God. It's the only way. So, 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 so the only way, the only way that you will be able, to the degree that you see yourself as a child in need of grace, to that same degree you will be a parent who gives grace. Let me say that again. To the degree that you see yourself as a child in need of grace, to that same degree you will be a parent who gives grace. Amen? Amen.